Welcome to our weekly podcast, Code Monkey Talks, about things that interest technologists. We're your co-hosts. I'm Brian Jackson, and joining me is Brian Demers. How's it going? Good. How are you this week? I'm pretty good. I just flew some model rockets with my kid and my wife today, so the first time yeah. in like 10 years, so I'm pretty excited today. <laughs> oh, that's really cool. I want to talk more about that, because I used to <laughs> do right. that as a kid, too. Um, but uh, I also want to introduce our uh, guest this week. Uh, Bridget, uh, she's uh, at Pivotal, and uh, welcome. Hi, thank you, Brian and Brian. Someday I will figure <laughs> out which of you is which. Right, the Brian um, and, and Brian show. Right. And I noticed that hilariously, you did not try to pronounce my last name, which most people don't. Thank you. Um, I, I, you know, before we started recording, I was going to ask you, and then I realized I didn't ask you. And so, please totally give fine. me give me the spoiler. What is it? Okay, so it's pronounced Kramhout, and what Kramhout. I tell people. Um, I, I told a coworker of mine, Cote, that uh, I did a podcast with him that it's very easy. It's pronounced Krom like Conan's God and then Hout like house. So these are easy and obvious and simple words everyone knows. Later, he's on a podcast with um, Software Defined Talk that he does with uh, Matt Ray from Chef. And they're just kind of laughing because Matt Ray is like, how many people would actually know who Crom Conan's God is? <laughs> and I'm like, this is kind of this is kind of a shibboleth, you know, for are you my people? Like, if you don't know what that is, that's cool. If you give me that blank look, like I just won't go down that conversation with you. <laughs> awesome. Well, welcome. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. This should be fun. Yeah, and so um, uh, for our listeners, Bridget is a, a veteran at, at podcasts. She has her own uh, Arrested DevOps uh, that we will make sure we link in the show notes. Um, so uh, we're excited to have you on the uh, on the podcast. Uh, we're I'm to be we're here. just learning. So. It should be fun. Um, yeah, yeah, and so uh, for our listeners, the format of the show is that uh, uh, it's basically broken into three segments. Uh, first, we're going to talk about uh, stuff that's in the news. Uh, then uh, we'll dive deeper into a, an interview with Bridget. And then after that, we'll leave uh, you, the listener, with something to do. So let's begin. Uh, so our first segment is about current events, and we call it In the News. We each pick one news story uh, we read about recently that we'd like to talk about. Uh, Brian, uh, why don't you go first? Uh, what did you want to talk about? All right. So th this ties into my mention of flying rockets uh, today. So I hadn't done that in, like I said, 10 years. So mm. I was pretty excited to get out, even though it was pretty uh, swampy and wet still here in New England this time of year. Um, but China and Europe are talking about uh, getting together to do um, some space adventures. So there's not really a whole lot of details, uh, as you would expect, I guess. But um, they're talking about potentially um, going to the moon, um, you know, a, a moon base. The, the, the term that I, I've, I've smiled at every time I've said it since I was a child. Um, I don't think it'll ever happen, but I want it to happen. <laughs> I know, um, I want it to. But I yeah, so I think so I think it's great that that China, I mean, and Europe together. I don't care either one of them by themselves. More people going to space. I'm super excited about. Yeah, awesome. I like the idea that's a partnership. Yeah, yeah, that's one of the things. Uh, so we'll have the link in the in the show notes. But that's one of the things that they mention is the fact that um, exploring space now should be a partnership because you know it's not a cold war anymore and it's not a space race. It's it's you know. The world is a lot smaller, so it's good stuff. Yeah, they're saying all the right things. Um, <laughs> right, <and> right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I like what, uh, you know, I'm excited about China's manned pro man space program, and, and uh, Europe has been doing um, a lot of 
uh, unmanned stuff uh, in the past. And so uh, I think it would be a good, a good partnership. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited. Cool. Uh, Bridget, do you, are you a, uh, a space buff at all? Is that something that you're interested in? You know, my spouse went to space camp when he was a kid. So oh, really? Me too. Like, he did. It did was, you really? I didn't. I, but, you know, my spouse did, and you did too. Yeah. Really? Oh, I man. did. I did too. I don't think I told Brian about this. So no, um, I, I, yeah, I'm going to stop now and talk about this. <laughs> yeah. So, so cool. but tell me about you. So your your spouse went yeah. uh, to space camp yeah, when so he was getting really. He was really into that. I guess he thought that he wanted to be an astronaut, and then he realized two things. Math was not really his thing, and also uh-huh. he needed glasses. And those were kind of a deal breaker at that point. Yeah. So, yeah. But, yep. um, but I mean, I'm, I don't know if I would call myself a space buff, but I definitely watch all the SpaceX launches. Like, Ah, uh, yes. You know, that counts. You're I mean, totally in. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a fan of... Uh, the fact that it, I mean I'm I'm a sci-fi nerd kid from way back, right? And I do believe that we need to reach out beyond this planet, possibly sooner rather than later, given recent yes. events. Yeah. Um, we definitely <laughs> need a backup planet or three to live on. So, <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's that's pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I uh, I'm a I've drunk the the Elon Musk Kool Aid uh, <laughs> with it and. Uh, I'm I'm one of the ones that would sign up for a, a one way trip to Mars, uh, you know, if it was something that was in my financial, uh, um, you know, uh, it, something that I could afford. And so uh, I I definitely am excited about the idea. I'm excited about the Brian. You said that they were talking about doing a moon base as well. Yep, yep. I mean, yeah. I I think that's what's one of the, one of the things people say every time they talk about going to the moon. Right. And launching launching from the moon to go to Mars, you know, um, but so that's is, that's really all more, they had. It's more of a launch point for exploring the asteroid belt or Mars. It's yep. not really right. supposed to be like a we're going to stay on moon on the moon for um, long term research. Like I'm just kind of wondering what the point of the base specifically is supposed to be. Just to be outside cool. of Earth's gravity well for it's operations. It's a cool term. I don't. I don't know yeah. because to get to to get things to the moon, you have to leave Earth's uh, gravity well unless you can mine the moon. Yeah, directly. Like if you get the things from Earth, but if right, you can right. mine the asteroid belt or other things, I mean, yeah, it's definitely where you can a, avoid having to deal with the gravity well is a good idea. You know? Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. It's it's to get us at least farther out of the gravity well makes it easier to launch things uh, outside of. Uh, earth orbit mm-hmm. that way mm-hmm. um yeah. but yeah uh, going back to uh my adventure in space camp i had a similar story i wanted to be an astronaut um and uh so in fourth grade i ended up going to space camp for a week down in um nice. on in the one in florida um mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. doesn't exist yeah that's anymore. the same one joe went to <laughs> oh really yeah, no, it doesn't. Uh, I think they, um, I think it's all the the Huntsville, Alabama location now is mm. the only one that they have, uh, which made mm. me sad when I looked it up. Um, but I'm actually on mm. like a Space Camp alumni like mailing list. So, oh, sweet. Uh, I'm, I'll have to I'm let him know it yeah. exists. I don't know if he ever looked for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's like spacecamp.com or something like that. Uh, of course, I will correct that and maybe put a link in the show notes if anybody's interested. Awesome. But um, is this yeah, and then question, is this the sort of thing people yeah. can still send their kids to? Like I was if just going to ask. They've consolidated <laughs> them or whatever. But like for our listeners with kids who love space, is that still a thing? Yeah, it is. It is still a thing. Uh, it's like I said, it's only the the Alabama location now. 
Um, they, so you do, either do need they to teach travel you Russian, there or be like in... how to speak Russian. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know how like uh, you know tactical for today's like <laughs> International Space Station it is, but uh, um, but yeah, no, I know that it still exists. It still exists for kids. Um, I don't. I don't know what the ages are, but uh, I do know that it it still exists, and they have the adult program as well. Uh, they nice. had that um, back then too. But uh, you can go as an adult for. Uh, you know, I want to say a day or two uh, type of training, maybe a little bit longer, like three days, and um, kind of go through similar kind of training programs, like go through the um, the six degrees of freedom training. So like you, it's like you do a simulated moonwalk and a simulated um, uh, uh, backpack uh, 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 spacewalk uh, type thing. They have like machines that simulate uh, weightlessness and stuff. So, all right, I got to yeah. go book a flight. Um, <laughs> Yeah, Alabama. Okay, we probably have customers there. We have customers <laughs> right. everywhere. I can make an excuse. Yeah, exactly. Right, uh, Huntsville's a big town. Um, yeah. You know, for for me and my family, it was we went to Disney World down in uh, Florida, and mm-hmm, it's a mm-hmm. like and, you know less than an hour drive over to um, you know to Kennedy Space Center, and and that space camp was basically out of that area, out of Titusville. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, so that's fun. Cool. Well, um, so Bridget, uh, did you have something that you wanted to, a story you wanted to talk about? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, kind of along the same theme as yours. Um, maybe uh, a little bit, you know, suborbital. Um, the uh, commercial supersonic flight is coming back, which I'm oh. super stoked about. Um, there's a startup called Boom, um, and it's boomsupersonic.com. Uh, so you can put a link in the show notes. Yeah, uh, like maybe next year you'll actually be able to book supersonic flight. Like they're working on basically a Concorde replacement. Wow, that's soon. You said it next that's what year. Well, they're saying, well, or at least they'll be testing, or I don't know. Like, I got it. I got. I think that this is kind of a a hand wavy. We may or may not be able to start commercial flights super soon, mm-hmm. but they've got some serious people behind it. I mean, they have people from Amazon. Um, in terms of like you know the tech, they yeah. have uh, people from Boeing and SpaceX. Oh wow! So, I mean, this That's isn't cool. just like you know, I don't know some some Wright brothers like assembling something out of wood. Like these are people who I think could actually do this. Yeah, yeah. I was always so sad when they decommissioned the Concord, you know, because uh, you know it was. It was just just like a a, a marvel of of human engineering. Uh, not that right. I was ever like before it was retired. I wasn't in like working and traveling and traveling right, to Europe right. or anything like that. But I'm sure the, the, the practical um, benefits of having <laughs> supersonic uh, flight was, is really important. But it's just, well, you know, just it's yeah. pushing that boundary of human endeavors is exciting. Right. Like it kind of it kind of hits like two, you know, wonderful things for me. The just the nerding out about supersonic flight. How cool is that? Which it is cool. It's really cool. Right. But also, um I counted them up when I did an end of year blog post. I had uh, I spoke at twenty nine conferences last year, um, in nineteen cities on five continents. Wow! And so it's relevant to my interest to have flights be twice as fast. Yeah, <laughs> like very relevant to my interests. <laughs> wow! Wow! Yeah, yeah. I, I totally get it. And is it? Um, do you know? Are they only targeting international flights right now, like over ocean flights, or are they actually going to um, try to somehow plan, tackle supersonic? I think they plan on having routes inside the U.S. Like cut that, cut that all day trip in half. Yeah, and they're not going to just do the you know New York London route. Like they're planning on um, all sorts of worldwide routes 
you know, inside the oh, U.S. Cool. and worldwide. Going to the Pacific. Yeah, I like, want a Boston-San Francisco route. Right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Everyone wants that across the yeah. U.S. route. I got I to gotta tell you, by the way, I live in Minneapolis. And I live in Minneapolis because I grew up in St. Paul and, you know, decided to stay here because I like it here. However, um, I like to tell people I, strategi- I strategically live in the middle. Because it's so much easier to fly to both coasts. Yeah, I can <laughs> like it imagine. It doesn't eat my whole day. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I can. Yeah. That just now having done the, uh, you know, I just recently moved to the West Coast, um, you know, a little mm. over or a little less than two years ago. And mm-hmm. um, so I'm now feeling that pain of, of flying, you know, coast to coast. And it it's it's a long flight. Uh, you know when right? you know you have to set your whole day aside to do it. So it, it makes for a long. Something that cuts it down is awesome. A very long day. Uh, when when yeah. I fly to to the West Coast, I usually wake up at whatever two o'clock in the morning, take the first oh, flight out, <laughs> and I'm there by like noon, and then you know I'm up until, uh, you know, East Coast time to wee hours in the morning or West Coast time like normal <laughs> normal day. So it's right. It's a challenge. And what is it with West Coast people who want to have dinner at 7 p.m. and you're like, it's 10 p.m. I'm exactly. starving and dying. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. Totally um, and now I'm on that side yeah. of the equation. I used to be the East Coaster being like, you know, can we shift everything a few hours earlier? But <laughs> yeah. No, now I'm now I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot. You need to eat. Whoops. Sorry about that. <laughs> so yeah, anyway, so. yeah. So geeking out, but also like. Oh my gosh, if this actually starts being a thing, they're claiming that they might be able to do flights for like five grand, which obviously one would not do all the time. But right. if you were going to pay like, I don't know, 3500 bucks to fly to um, Europe to do a customer thing, like pay five grand instead and get there twice as fast. Yeah. yeah that, absolutely. And then you save that, on the hotel night. Like that actually is not, it's a non-trivial difference. Yeah. No, that's... That's cool! Wow, they they have lofty goals. I'm, I I have my fingers crossed that they can deliver on them. So that's pretty cool. I really hope so. <laughs> oh. Wow. Um, so the uh, thing that I wanted to discuss was uh, last week, actually, just as we were recording last week's podcast, um, uh, Docker announced the Moby project, which has confused a lot of people. Um, <laughs> and uh, I had tweeted out that uh, I thought it was, uh, you know, one of the worst brand disasters you know since quickster um i have i have since like read a little bit more and i'm not sure it's at that same level but it's it's confusing um what they're doing is they're branching out what's the open source code that is the foundation of docker into this project moby and they're separating it's so that they can separate the brand of docker ce and uh enterprise out to be the commercial products um and uh and separate that from what is the open source project what are you guys thoughts about this i'm not i'm not a big fan uh even with a week to brew on it i strongly dislike major branding changes for for this i mean for the same types of reasons i mean it's it's the company i know or the products i know it's easy to google Right. I mean, there's so many other projects ecosystem wise um, already built around these terms. Sure. Um, so it's just more frustrating. I mean, I, I can't think of another company that has, has done this off the top of my head, but I know every time it happens, it frustrates me. Oh, like like uh, 
Ops code, right? Ops code yeah. is, is now chef, or chef is now ops code. Or, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, ops it's, code it's, became chef, and Tengen became MongoDB, and like yeah, a lot of times, right. the company names themselves after their major flagship product, and it's less usual right. to go the opposite direction. Exactly. Or exactly. Or to just that, like that, change the name of the open source part of your flagship product. I mean, yeah, like that's usual. I'm I'm cool. Like I, I I'm cool with the ops code changing their name to Chef. Like I was like that totally makes sense. Like that's really the only product they have, and so it makes sense that rather than having to explain to yet another client, like no, our company is <laughs> ops enough. code, but our product is Chef. <laughs> like I get it. Um, this is this is the exact opposite of they're trying to fork out the, their major product um, into this other name and this other brand is. Maybe it's going to blow over, or maybe it's another quickster. I I don't know. Um, so, so, do you think it has something to do with you know the other open container initiatives? Um, like- That's what I'm trying to grok. Like, I have not really processed the why of why they are branching out Moby, the you know the Moby project, um, because it's very confusing to me still. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, Bridget- I think that. Docker people would probably have like their own perspective on it. Obviously, I don't work at Docker and I have my own perspective. But sure. I guess I would just say that um, as a company, you know, any startup who takes a bunch of VC money needs to monetize. And if you have a lot of mindshare around a name already, and now that name can refer more exclusively to your commercial stuff, mm-hmm. I mean, that's one way to get people who have already sold their management on the fact they should have some Docker to, you know, when that uh, somebody gets ready to try to implement that, maybe they're just going to be primed to write a PO. Like, I'm just speculating here. I don't know anything about their strategy, but I can understand why, hey, we have a lot of mindshare around this word, which people have considered to mean a lot of things. We're going to refocus it on the things that we could actually, you know, sell. And we're going to put the things that we're not going to sell into a separate name so that when people are saying the very common word that everyone already knows, like it might help us Hmm. and help all of the people who are hopefully going to make money. I have a lot of friends who work there and I hope they make money. So like I can see from a strat and this is again, no inside info whatsoever. I've talked to no one at Docker about this, but my guess is, Hey, you have something that people pay a lot of attention to. You want people to put money into the, the not free stuff. How do you make that more likely? I mean, yeah, it's a strategy. No, I don't know if it, it'll work, but it's a strategy. Point. That's it my strategy. Guess. <laughs> no, it's, it's a good guess. It's it's kind of where my gut says that that's what they're doing is that they're trying to separate the 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 brand of of the product so that they can they can monetize it more uh, and more power to them. It is such a great yeah. product. Like it's not. I'm not against them monetizing their product because it's. Yeah. It's awesome. I love it. Um, uh, and it's the more around the confusion of am I am I going to MobyConf next year or DockerConf? Like, well, right, you know, the, the things company like that. It's like. Conferences get a stomach yeah. called DockerCon almost certainly. I, I know. I say that facetiously because I completely agree that that's an obvious one. But it's like, it's also like, what 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 is the Moby project, uh, you know, longer term? Yeah. I mean, I think that's where it gets confusing. And I think that. Again, I've only watched this. I haven't used Docker myself for a while now. And um, I mean, I used it in production back in 2014, but like not for a little while now. And so I can't say for certain, but I would imagine that 
it was confusing for contributors when um, mm. Docker slash Docker like literally physically got renamed on GitHub. That would be for me like the one misstep here. Like, oh, that's confusing. <laughs> right. Because like, oh, you've just broken a bunch of people's builds. Like what? Whatever. I mean, hopefully people didn't have build dependencies on that. But like, you know what I'm saying? That's the sort of thing that's going to confuse people a lot. Right. Definitely. Yeah. So um, to that, that point, I guess I, that would be my, confu- my concern there is like, oh, that that seemed like a piece of the, of the internet you might not have wanted to change. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think there was, I know that there has been some fallout over this past week that um, I know that they had the GitHub team directly involved with fixing some of that. Um, right. But uh, but I do, I, I will attest that now talking about GitHub, if you rename a project, uh, you know, it. Uh, it will move it to a different org all the like the 301s work so assuming that you're uh, you know honoring the redirects things do work uh but that's not always everything's not uh, right things right can be all, more fragile all... and brittle than that right but if you do it for one of the biggest projects on github whoops. oh <laughs> oh yeah of course exactly <laughs> yeah no um no it's good good insight uh you know as far as yeah our perspective i think over the next few weeks few months it's going to get clearer what it is um and and how it fits into what is docker what what where is the line between what is docker and what is moby and how other organizations are going to use moby um you know versus what parts they're going to use as docker you know i think you're going to have like you said you're going to have monetary clients of docker you will have open source consumers of moby it's where it feels like it's going um yeah, I think that um, my friend Jerome Pedazzoni will, I'm sure, be giving conference talks about that in the coming year since he does tech advocacy for Docker. So I imagine we'll get uh-huh. more clarity in the, in the coming year on that. Cool. Yeah, well, that's it. I think they maybe if that's the misstep in here is that it wasn't communicated properly. I mean, in preparation for the show, I went and reread the, the blog post and I still don't get it. Like, so like even the, the, the announcement blog post, like didn't make it clear to me um, be honest so. i didn't read the whole blog post i looked at the yeah it was diagram a lot of words. That, i looked at the diagram <laughs> solomon tweeted and i was like this is a very complicated diagram it kind of looks like the plot to a murder mystery i don't even I, i'm pretty I sure i've, I've built this microservices architecture and i was sorry yeah. you know sort of thing <laughs> yeah i thought it was an april fool's thing that i missed yeah like a late yeah late <laughs> april fool's joke or something right yeah yeah but anyway Cool. Well, uh, that's uh, in the news uh, this week. So uh, we'll dive right into our interview segment with uh, Bridget. And so, Bridget, uh, you, uh, I appreciate that you listen to some of the shows. So you um, know that at this point, uh, I like to ask my guests, um, how do you define DevOps? <laughs> you know what the funny thing is, is uh, my spouse actually, who edits, by the way, the audio for Arrested DevOps, uh, yeah. Joe likes to say that it seems like every DevOps podcast, people want to talk about what DevOps is for like half the podcast. So it kind of makes fun of us for that. So I, I guess I'll just, I'll say it's, you know, it's, it's both a floor wax and a dessert topping. Like it's a, it's, it's collaboration across dev and ops and the rest of the org essentially to do tech better. Cause like we, I feel like we, um, especially in a lot of these conversations about DevOps, we focus on the tools. And then the pendulum swings the other way and we say, oh, it's not tools, it's culture. And like reality is, of course, it's both. And like yeah. the the thing that matters the most is not whether you held hands and song kumbaya or mm-hmm. whether or not you have the most <laughs> elegant stack possible, but whether or not you delivered value to your stakeholders. So 
If you have good cross-team collaboration and can do that faster and more effectively, then hey, congratulations, you have some DevOps and possibly graduated from kindergarten. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Uh, I that's like good. That. So, yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much that. <laughs> yeah, no, and, it, and uh, it's uh, it's a good uh, observation of your spouse because you know what it is. It's <laughs> it's such a buzzword that it's really confusing to, you know. I've I've had different people like, you know, I'd, I'd have a job interview and it's clearly an operations role, and you know that's what that's how they define it, right? Versus uh, another one will be a um, you know almost project management role, um, and. Uh, you know, so I, I like the kind of the movement against like, don't name your job roles and, and Charity talked about it in, uh, a mm-hmm. few weeks back of like, don't name your, you know, your job role a DevOps engineer because that is just, it, it doesn't make any sense, right? I mean, like, I've, I've given, I think I gave an Ignite at DevOps Days Pittsburgh in 2014 ranting about exactly that. But like, yeah. I've had that job title a couple of times and it wasn't the end of the world and it would be a ridiculous job title if you were actually scoping it to your job is to do the collaborating. <laughs> like that, really? Like my job's to do the collaborating and then other people develop software and operate it. That that doesn't work at all, right? Um, but when people are using it just as like a search and replace for operations because they hope that it'll give them more candidates, like, okay, whatever. Hashtag buzzwords, hashtag LinkedIn. I mean, whatever. <laughs> I actually use cool. hashtag recruiter fail sometimes when I'm tweeting about like terrible things recruiters send me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that I, I had that for a little while. I, I, I've, you know, cause you get enough of the emails and stuff that sometimes it's just, you, you kind of want to just share with the community of like this, don't do this, please. Like stop <laughs> sending me these emails. And, yeah. Uh, I, you know. I got, I got a good one this week about moving to China. It was pretty awesome. It was really? one of the big companies. Wow. Yeah. One of the big companies out there. I'm like, I mean, I, I know I'm in a list of, I don't know how many thousands of people, right? They're like, eh, maybe there's 10 guys that want to move to China. Wow. <laughs> I mean, not that moving to China would be uh, would be bad, but right. uh, it'd be very different for my family. I'll tell you that. They might yeah, notice we... the difference. It's possible. It's possible. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Right. Exactly. One well, thing that always like irks me is the, you know, uh, I've had a career where, uh, you know, I've, I've been in full-time roles for, you know, several years at a time and I'll get the, this is a six month contract role in, you know, so, some random city. And I'm like, is that really like, I know you're scattershotting it, but like, I feel like you're wasting your time and my time when, when you send me something like that. Um, so maybe they're really that... hoping that you somehow had a desire to move to that specific city and they would just happen to email you at that moment i guess it's not is possible that it? like exactly <laughs> like is that it's it's kind of the spam way of doing it is like you know it's got to hit sooner or later right right um, well, or something I mean, like that there it's it's the what's the spam rule um you know we keep getting spam because spam works right um all all of these yeah. types of things must work so otherwise yeah. they would stop doing it the cost to do them is so low that there's just no reason for them. To <laughs> right, right. That's else. that's the other option. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, so, uh, you know, Bridget, I, mm-hmm. I, I'd love to hear a little bit more about what you're doing at Cloud Foundry. Like, what you know, what what is what is principal technologists <laughs> do? Is it, I know that you do a lot of talks and stuff. Um, is that kind of where your role sits in as being kind of, uh, you know, an, an outside evangelist for the company or, um, yeah, tell sure, me a little bit sure. more. 
Um, okay, so a few things. Uh, first of all, evangelist sounds like I'm going to knock on your door and give you a pamphlet about Bosch and say, like, have you Sorry, heard the good got, news about I, Cloud Foundry? <laughs> I know I've people gotten, use that term. I know, I've gotten numb so to funny. that term, right? Yeah. It doesn't so, it sound ludicrous. <laughs> it, 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 when you when you point it out, it does. I've gotten, like, it's been, like, 10 years where I've been using that term, so that, yes, now... Um, yeah. Yeah, and I apologize if that's one of your if that's one of your no, titles, but like so I, just, it has been I don't my want it for a title past. because come yeah. on. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I titles, lo- are, I, titles are crap. Yeah, I, I, I like that title deal. for that reason. Um, so <laughs> yeah. I talk to you know my non some of my non technical family members, and they they think I'm standing behind like a, a pulpit or something. And uh, <laughs> right, it's like well, sort of, but sort of. Right. <laughs> It might be I mean, a lectern on a stage. Yeah, I have a standing <laughs> desk at home. I mean, is right? that kind of <laughs> kind of? If you podcast from it, it totally counts. <laughs> yeah, that's why I'm standing right now. <laughs> nice. Yep. <laughs> I have a standing desk, but I'm sitting on a bar stool at my standing desk right now. See, that works too. Because it's nine eighteen p.m. here, I'm kind of tired. I feel I like I'm I'm left out. I don't have my standing desk at home. That's I need to get one. I have one at work. I just don't have the one at home that I'm at right now. So. <laughs> But, nice. uh, um, but so anyway, now that so we yeah, have eviscerated so, evangelist, yeah, evangelist uh, as a just, term. It, for me personally, it just sounds hilarious. So I do tech advocacy for Cloud Foundry. Um, Cloud Foundry is uh, an open source project, actually. And it uh, came out of – it's a project that came out of VMware. Um, mm-hmm. And it's like EMC and VMware kind of put this – collection of a whole bunch of startups and companies they had acquired together they slapped the name pivotal on it because they had acquired a 20 year old software consultancy that did a lot of agile and xp consulting that was called pivotal labs so um this company came to be in um i want to say it's like four years ago now Mm -hmm. and so like i don't work um for an organization entitled cloud foundry because we actually pivotal spun out the cloud foundry foundation and so we have an independently governed foundation that I don't work for. So I work for the company that puts about 65% of the commits into the open source project. <laughs> Got it. So. Oh, that's really helpful. You know, I, actually, I didn't I didn't know the background um, yeah, in the yeah, history yeah. of Pivotal and, and Cloud Foundry. So that's really yeah. helpful. I, I know I just listened to the episode where you were chatting with my coworker, Matt Stein, and he touched on this a little, but I think he didn't necessarily like distinguish between what the two sides of that are. So... Yeah, it's yeah, kind of back to what we were discussing with Docker. Like, if you've got open source governance that you're trying to figure out, you know, um, much like they gave RunC to the Linux Foundation, like, this is the the sort of thing. Or no, wait, it was the Cloud Native Computing Foundation? Well, anyway, one of those foundations. Like, they have open, and correct me if you remember which one it is, but um, when you donate IP to a foundation, one of the, I think, really valuable things about it is at that point, the foundation is um, making sure that the open source is protected from commercial interests. And that's, I think, for from a commercial interest point of view, that it really helps your argument with customers because customers are very rightfully worried about buying into something that's going to be closed source and maybe you'll go out of business and maybe they'll never get insight into what they're actually buying and mm-hmm. maybe they want to work with a different vendor and now they're just totally screwed because they went with a closed source commercial provider. <laughs> so yeah. like the fact that we provide, you know, commercial solutions for our customers that um, use open source software means that they can accept if they would like all of the additional help we give them. Uh, we give them, you know, some commercial, like we, we have these um, add-on tiles. So like we work with... Uh, 
ISVs, and we do a lot of partner integration stuff. So if people want to use something from CloudBees or from New Relic or whatever, um, mm-hmm. we we actually just did an integration with Honeycomb, a charity major startup. I know she was just on the oh, podcast. Yeah. So like, if somebody wants to use, say, Honeycomb, for example, because it's wonderful and they should, then um, we uh, the Honeycomb folks sent one of their people from their delightful little startup to one of our partner days and built a tile. And I know that's working its way through whatever the processes are. So hopefully, real soon now, TM, we'll have customers that can just click a button and turn on Honeycomb. Oh, very nice. Cool. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's, that's the kind of thing where, um, obviously, you have... You also, if you're working with, say, a commercial Cloud Foundry vendor, and there are other ones that you maybe don't know are Cloud Foundry. Like, you may have seen some of the ads for IBM Bluemix. Yeah. Yeah, that's Cloud Definitely. Foundry. Definitely. <laughs> ah. So. Well, I feel silly that I didn't know that. That's. Yeah, I mean, oh. they don't advertise it, but, like, it's not a secret. There's, yeah. There's some wonderful people out of their London office. Or is it Cambridge? I don't know. But anyway, some of their wonderful UK people who work for IBM who work on Cloud Foundry, I talk to from time to time. So. Oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, okay. Thank, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> this is really helpful because, uh, you know, I, I, Cloud Foundry is not, uh, you know, a company and a, a set of tools and, and one that I've, I personally have tracked uh, very much or I've, I haven't ha- also had the opportunity to work with it. So this is, this is really helpful for understanding where it fits into everything. So that's really cool. So, so where it fits into everything um, is, is honestly, and especially, and I'm going to speak more specifically about the commercial uh, Cloud Foundry, the commercial, specifically the Pivotal Cloud Foundry that I work you know, most directly with our customers, because I can't tell you about every customer that IBM or whomever has. But like sure. our customers who are choosing something like Cloud Foundry, um, it's, it's a pass, right? It's a platform service layer that they can put in their data centers or in their IaaS of choice. And they choose that because when they go reaching into the AWS bag of tricks, they're like, oh, as uh, my, my boss at Pivotal, Andrew Clay Schaefer, likes to say, AWS, kind of a bag of sharp knives. Like, there's a lot of stuff in there. <laughs> like, you might not, if you're a giant enterprise and you're like, we sell insurance and also we would like to cloud. Like, if you're, you could just start by just giving all the devs an AWS account and right. go, go nuts. It'll be great. Right. Try to try like, I would like my cloud to be, be awesome. <laughs> Right, right? Like, exactly. Nice. Yeah, just, just just click buttons, see what happens. So, like, uh, enterprises yep. often would really prefer um, things like role-based access control. And they would prefer it to not be the way I am is if you've spent any time. I'm not going to pick on AWS too much because I actually love AWS. But if you've spent any time whatsoever trying to configure I am roles, you're like, oh, this is terrifying. This is where Brian <laughs> raises his hand. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's been it's been a few years, but uh, I have lost many hours of my life trying to to deal with yeah. this and trying to get it exactly yeah. right and not screw it up. Especially if you know somebody's insurance or whatever is on the line. Like there's, yeah. Uh, anyway, large as it turns out, TLDR, large banks and insurance companies and auto manufacturers and what have you are pretty attached to role based access controls, and they're pretty attached yeah. to the idea of like good integration with their backing data stores that they aren't getting rid of anytime soon. Cause like, you know, I like to say in conference talks, like I got news for you, what, the stuff that you call legacy, like that's where the customers and the money live. <laughs> like you're not turning that off. <laughs> it's not going away. Right. <laughs> right. We had a, yeah, yeah. we had, um, we had a speaker at um, spring one platform, the inelegantly na- and confusingly named pivotal cough. Um, 
for historical reasons, we gave it a very confusing name. But anyway, at the yeah. at the Pivotal Industry Conference last year, we had a, a speaker from City Citibank, and he he goes on stage and he takes the mic and he says, "Hello, my name is Brad. I have a monolith problem." <laughs> and of course, we're all cracking up in the front <laughs> row. We're like, "Hi, Brad." But you know, like if you're if you're at these large enterprises, like you have a mainframe, it's still running. You don't plan to turn it off. And you need, and when people say like, oh, serverless, you're like, that's super. Are we going to rewrite our like entire, you know, mm-hmm. ETL or whatever so that we can decompose all the functions to fire a bunch of functions as a service? Like, that is awesome. It, it's not serverless, by the way. I mean, they're servers. You just can't SSH into them. But <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> but it's like. like it's, it's cloud is just check. somebody else's computer, right? And right. Yeah, this is just a server you can't SSH into. I like that. Right. But like, yes, we all love the exciting greenfield. And yes, you don't hear a lot about things like Cloud Foundry on the front page of Hacker News because no one is going to yellow that out into production for their like three person startup. It's really like everyone has AWS creds. You don't need robust access controls. <laughs> So it's giant enterprises who aren't on the front page of Hacker News that are the people who are using stuff like this. Yeah. No, that's uh, that, that uh, makes a lot of sense of just how um, it's just it's a lot of stuff that's I, I don't want to say not going away because that's almost like a negative connotation. But it's like this is this is all stuff that needs to be accepted and not like, oh, you know, I'm a but I'm a brand like, new startup that that I I get to forget everything that came before well and so like greenfield again people might want to make a stateless greenfield app at a giant company and they can easily put that on cloud foundry but if they want to write something that talks to some of their systems of record then we have these things called service brokers that there's a bunch that come built in or they can write their own custom service brokers that talk to their terrifying mainframe for example (laughs) um or, you know, with, with as much like, you know, backing off or slowing the connections down such that they won't, you know, tip anything over. Um, but the the part that the Cloud Foundry stuff actually does, and again, like the open source stuff does this too, so this is not a product pitch, but like what Cloud Foundry actually does is it builds in, um, it has this infrastructure automation layer called Bosch, um, which B-O-S-H, and that's an open source project. Mm-hmm bosh.io that you can go look at and that's the translation layer that can talk to your your vmware or your aws account or your azure or your you know um your gcp or whatever and your OpenStack if you have a terrifying OpenStack tire fire in your data center (laughs) (laughs) oh that's another product that i've lost many hours of sleep over (laughs) like how do you really feel though tell tell me let it let it get it off your chest right (laughs) Um, I think we've all been so there. This, right. So this does all of the, like, it It can talk to anything where you can um, do, like, spin up a VM or attach some storage or, you know, it's basically the translation layer that translates that into GCP speak or whatever. Right. Um, and so that you're not just writing stuff in, say, Bodo or whatever. Like, you're, you're writing... It's basically just a whole bunch of YAML. So, like, you have to make your piece with YAML because you're going to write a lot of YAML if you get into this space. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, I'm I'm a professed, I'm cool with YAML kind of person, but I know there are many who who think it's the devil. But, yeah, (laughs) I I get that. You got to make your piece with it. (laughs) Yeah. 
but uh but anyway so then and then there's a layer that um is all containers i mean it's actually been containers since like 2011 and uh this and it is docker compatible now like after they open source run c and everything we made it docker compatible and this takes your application so it, it kind of acts like a heroku like sort of thing you can say cf push and push either a docker image or just like cf push from the directory that has all your code in it because how could that go terribly wrong and uh like let's just hope that you're not letting the human cf push things into production like one would assume <laughs> and in fact it is the case yes. in giant enterprises that they have their ci cd pipelines are the ones that are actually doing the push from the code mm-hmm. that's actually been checked in <laughs> but but anyway, so you just CF push and that um, goes into the platform and builds containers that then, according to however you've set your configurations, uh, can auto scale and can um, respawn if you've like set a static amount that are supposed to be running and then some disappear. So, I mean, basically all of the all of the autoscaling configuration and they tie into whichever um, authentication, maybe back to your Active Directory or whatever that the enterprise wants. And all of the infrastructure management and and talking to the infrastructure layer, like, and all of the log aggregation, like there's just this thing called the loggregator and you point that firehose wherever you want. If if you want that that to go into Honeycomb or something else, like you just, you point it to your Splunk or whatever and uh, that's and you can point it to multiple places and configure it to like, we would like everything to go to Honeycomb and then we would like just these kinds of things to go to Datadog, you know, whatever. Right. So, yeah, like basically any of us who have spent enough time in the ops space, we've built this. Like we've built this a bunch of times in a bunch of different ways and they were all probably made out of janky bash. <laughs> and like, <laughs> so, you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, I don't. I'm writing it like I was literally writing it today. Like I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> ba- bash is great until you uh, yeah. until you start maintaining someone else's script, right? <laughs> right. Or, right. And, and that I mean, someone I st- is like me six yeah. months ago and I have no idea right. what I was thinking. <laughs> I, uh, I still write janky bash and it's not a terrible thing, but it also is like reality check. I would be very sad if someone were running my janky bash in production. And there's an also uh-huh. reality check. There are almost certainly terrible scripts, terrible Python, terrible bath bash that I've written in the past. That's still running in production. I try not to think about that. part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. But anyway, um, so yeah, that's, that's the TLDR. It's way too long probably, but that's the TLDR. No, no, no. Foundry that, that is really like, helpful. It basically, when people want, so then the layer on top of this, this exciting layer cake sounds kind of delicious. This should be frosting. Um, mm, the the layer now. on t- yeah, the layer on top there is people's applications, and like that's kind of the selling point to our customers is, hey, you're hiring really smart developers, and you want them to write a connected car app. How much time do you want them to spend on log aggregation? <laughs> right. And they're like zero. We want them to spend zero on that because that doesn't make us money. And we're like exactly. Sorry. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah no, so, exactly. Yeah. So I, I want to so, turn... And the, back, um, to you, back to you, by the way, I will one more line and I will finish your original question. No. Your original question was, so what do you, What exactly do you do at Pivotal? <laughs> and the very long answer there is I tell people stories about how they can be awesome with software. So I, <sighs> nice. I talk, I talk nice. to people. That's, yeah. that's boiled right down. <laughs> I love I how you put people. a pin 
in that. That's awesome. <laughs> Um, uh, so I do want to turn to, uh, I'm really interested to hear, uh, more about DevOps days. This is something that I am familiar with. Uh, it, it's, um, I attended one recently in the Bay area. And, um, so for our listeners uh, who aren't familiar with, it's a, a, a global series of, um, small, like it's a, between a meetup and a conference. Um, you know, how, how do you describe it? And tell me, I, I'm really interested to hear like your history with it. If you've been it f- with it from the beginning and kind of, Oh, no, um, no, no. <laughs> yeah. And so like how you got involved and, sure. you know, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. So DevOps days, um, started out of a conversation at the agile conference in 2008 between Patrick Dubois and Andrew Clay Schaefer. Mm. Um, and uh, Schaefer actually suggested an open space, uh, like a birds of a feather session type of discussion on uh, agile infrastructure. And then he didn't show up at it because he figured nobody would go. And the only person <laughs> who showed up at it was Patrick Dubois and had to track Schaefer down later and, and discuss with him, what's this idea of applying agile principles to the work we all do in the infrastructure space? And how can we make infrastructure and operations better by applying that kind of uh, workflow? And from that discussion in 2008 came the first DevOps Days conference that Patrick Dubois put on um, in Belgium, where he lives, um, in Ghent, which is a delightful fairy tale, medieval fairy tale village um, in Belgium. I have been there. It was delightful. And, uh, but I wasn't there in 2009. Um, in 2009, I was the assistant director of infrastructure operations at the University of Minnesota Supercomputing Institute, um, which is a, the sort of title that probably would imply to you that a lot of sysadmins worked for me, which is true. And I was semi, I had a few developers who I I considered in my corner and they were on my team. And, and I was, I was semi developer hostile to the, to the enemy developers who always wanted to break everything and do everything wrong and make life difficult for my sysadmins. And, you know, it's like, I was definitely in that camp that like these conferences are aimed at now of like, Hey, you can be better. And here's how, um, and uh, yeah, the conference series, uh, there were there was one in 2009 and there were five in 2010. You know, um, there was one in the U.S. and, you know, a few other, you know, Europe and Australia, a few places around the world. And then it, it started growing a, a little bit. And um, I think there were, you know, uh, let's see, maybe 16 or 17 of them in 2004. And by that point, I was you know, in this space enough that I was like running a local meetup and somebody convinced me that I should probably, somebody, in fact, I will call him out, was Michael Ducey from Chef, convinced me huh. that uh, I should run a DevOps days in Minneapolis. And so I, I ran one in, did I say 2004? Sorry, two, 2014, I ran one in Minneapolis. Uh, and then things escalated. And uh, January 2015, um, Patrick Dubois actually decided to retire from heading the global org and I took over. So it was, he's, he's still around. He comes to him from time to time and he's very happy to um, be focused on stuff. You know, he's doing some serverless stuff now and whatever, and he's not focused on running a global org that we ended up with uh, 24 worldwide events in 2015. Um, And then we had 42 on six continents in 2016 and it's not showing any signs of slowing down. (laughs) So Yeah. I had no idea that it was that many. Many different yeah. events. That's I mean, I've seen, you know, yeah. The, if you, if you the go to DevOps, yeah. Long. If you go to DevOpsDays.org, 
and just look at the front page and scroll down a little bit and go, oh, alrighty then. Yeah, I, I was I was on it as we're <laughs> as you're talking, and I'm just looking at the left sidebar of of all the past events, you know, and future events. I mean, uh, the, well, I mean yeah, that's the just the, that's the upcoming events. ones. If you click that's on past events, if you click exactly. on past events at the top, you can actually look at all of the past ones and upcoming. Yeah, that's incredible. So, um, yeah, so incredible. It's, so it's a, as you mentioned, they're um, smaller, so they're more like a large meetup in some cons, and depending on the size of your meetup, I guess. The, yeah. the typical size for an initial DevOps Days event is maybe 200, 250 people. That's, it's often a function of the venues that people can get, kind of small size venues people can get for free from like a, you know, a, a, com- a corporate host or something. Right. Um, or, you know, like a... I spoke at one in Philly last year that was in the Chemical Heritage Foundation. Like it was a chemistry museum that had a function space. So that's where they found to rent a space that worked really well. So, um, so yeah, there's, they range in size. Uh, probably one of the larger ones is the one I run in Minneapolis. Um, our third year last year, we had 700 people show up. I don't mean like 700 wow. registered. I mean like 700 actually showed up. So, Whoa, that's pretty good. Yeah, wow. yeah, that's, 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 that's still a great small turnout. enough though that that you know people can actually hold conversations as yeah. opposed to just being shoulder to shoulder and right. in these massive conferences. I wouldn't want it. I wouldn't honestly. I wouldn't be having fun if I were running a conference that's reinvent sized. I mean, I've been to reinvent. You know, it was interesting. <laughs> I went there the first <laughs> year I worked at Pivotal, and I think I spent ten hours in the booth having meetings without stopping. So <laughs> it's like. Yeah, I didn't actually go to any talks. <laughs> and I like live tweeting conferences. I've like I've blogged about how I live live tweet conferences. Like I actually like going to conferences and tweeting from the talks and yeah, going to a conference and only having meetings is a new experience and I didn't repeat it this year. I was like, someone else can go to reinvent. I'm not going this time. <laughs> <laughs> so so other than uh, DevOps days, what's your favorite conference? Uh, that, that one's probably pretty easy to answer because the only conference that I go to, even at this point, now that going to conferences is part of my job, the only conference that I go to, even if I'm not speaking is Monitorama. Um, I have a a deep and abiding love for all things monitoring. I spent 15 years on call for production. So I have a lot of feels around the whole, you know, let's limit the pain, the last (laughs) radius in this area. And uh, Jason Dixon puts on Obfuscurity on Twitter. Um, He puts on a really good, like, artisanal, bespoke, hand-whittled monitoring conference in Portland, Oregon every year. So cool. And it, I mean, yes, it's coming up in May. No, you can't go because it sells out in, like, days or weeks from being announced. Oh, wow. So. Very. Wow. Cool. Well, now I'm going to have it on my calendar for 2018. <laughs> <laughs> uh, follow Monitorama on Twitter and buy your ticket the second they go on sale would be what I recommend. <laughs> I actually awesome. missed I missed signups this year and I had to go hat in hand to Jason. And then I actually I put a talk in and I helped pick them. We do a whole like, you know, group anonymized review thing. And I saw another talk. Mine is mine is about it's called I Volunteer as Tribute. It's about like, you know, stop sacrificing human misery on the altar of on call and, and just like solve some of these problems. Kind of a rant, I guess. I don't know. Nice. I haven't given it before, so I'm I'm writing it for Monitorama and we'll see how that goes. 
Um, but when I saw that uh, Alice Goldfuss was going to give a talk about like um, how she learned to hate the on-call selfie, I was like, oh, don't take my talk. Take hers. And Jason was like, I'm taking them both. <laughs> so. Even better right there. <laughs> so I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited about that. That should be a good time. Very cool. And, uh, Very cool. Well, and that yeah. one, back to the, back to the, uh, the Concord and then this, you know, new boom, by the way. I am speaking at Monodorama in Portland, Oregon, and then I'm speaking less than 48 hours later in Toronto, Ontario, in Canada. Oh, oh. And so, like, I speak Tuesday in one, um, like, end of the day Tuesday, and then I speak beginning of the day Thursday in Toronto. So I will spend all of Wednesday, as you can imagine, on a cross-country flight. Oh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, you know, rough. Supersonic fl- fl- flight. Flying I'm into Canada you. is nice. It's a lot – it's – better than flying into some other countries i guess sure, sure. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah i'm very excited yeah. about the supersonic flight <laughs> yeah well um so we are out of time uh for our interview segment but thank you bridget <laughs> for uh joining us today bridget where where can i mean we talked a little bit about this but let's uh recap where can our listeners find out more about you and, and what you're working on sure absolutely um so you, they can find me at bridget Cramhout on twitter or bridget because i have a google unique name because my parents are delightful people. And <laughs> in the great. 70s, they somehow figured out that giving their child a Google unique name would be really helpful. Like, yeah, mom and dad. I, <laughs> I named my son Mason in uh, in the year that it was the most popular name. <laughs> so Oof. I'm a great, I mean, yeah. I you know, I, we joke now. It's like I basically I named my son John because um, that was, you know, the popular name or Brian for that matter. <laughs> yeah, I know. Exactly. You're just passing down the legacy, right? <laughs> right, right. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Um, and then they can they can find me in person um, at Go to Chicago next week, or Monodorama in May, or Velocity San Jose in June, or DevOps Days Minneapolis in July. That is not all of the conferences and events, but those are like some of the ones that they might be pretty likely able to find me at. They could listen to Arrested DevOps. Uh, we are going to do six live episodes at Go to Chicago. So I'm, I'm a little worried that by the sixth episode, I will have completely lost my voice. Oh, man. <laughs> We're doing them all in a row. So Yeah, that's, well, that's going to be intense live <laughs> at that. Uh, that's nuts. I, I'm looking forward to it. My co-host, uh, the founder of Arrested DevOps, Matt Stratton, lives in Chicago. So that's how I got the idea. When they asked me if I wanted to do a second track, I was like, hey, I know what we can do. <laughs> awesome. I can't wait to listen. Wow. It's fun. All right. Well, uh, I'm Brian Demers. I can be found on Twitter as well. Um, Brian Demers, all one word. Yeah, and I'm also on Twitter. I'm at Jackson, J-A-X-Z-I-N. But before we go, let's leave our listeners with something to do. So this is where each week we'll leave you, the listener, with something to watch, read, play, or try out in some other way. Uh, Brian, uh, what did you want to leave our listeners with? All right. I've been uh, putting in a few late nights lately, and... uh, I've been, uh, you know, at night, I, I, I step away from my desk and I sit on my couch. And uh, I kind of like to, to have something that I don't have to focus on too much. So um, Netflix told me that Bill Nye had a new show. And I'm a big, big Bill Nye fan. I sort of missed the first wave of his show. Uh, I was more of a Mr. Wizard kind of guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, but but I can I can respect Bill Nye and his books are great. Uh, he narrates uh, his audio books and he's a very passionate guy and he's 
He's like an actual, you know, engineer, or at least he was in a previous life. And, uh, you know, he can talk a lot about these things. So his new show, I think it's been getting a lot of uh, flack online um, because it's not super technical or or he goes on his rants about things. But uh, that's totally oh, really? his show. Like, uh, that's that's his platform. Uh, and <laughs> yeah, I, right. I totally support him. Um, so... <laughs> So I, I do agree it doesn't get uh, super technically involved, but I, I don't think that's the market they're going after. Um, right. I think I'm just outside of that market of, of or, you know, the demographic, I should say, of um, uh, of people. Like, I know a lot, of, I, like, I think I watched one of the episodes and it was on um, artificial intelligence. And it's great, mm-hmm. like, uh, super interesting topic, but they didn't get deep enough into it where um, where I found it. Super interesting. Although they did have one Microsoft demo, um, I forget the name of the product, but Microsoft is doing some really cool stuff with how um, uh, you take a picture and uh, it'll it'll read to you basically or or, or speak what the picture is. So they had a blind guy uh, yeah. or a man who was blind, I should say, uh, who was working at Microsoft on this. Uh, brilliant guy. He's the project lead, and he just took a picture and. Um, uh, there was a lot of things like there was a vase of flowers or something. It just told them what it was, and it. I think it has a lot of potential of of to make you know the world better. And obviously, um, there's a lot of other uses for that type of technology. So anyway, so check it out. Um, yeah, I think I think anyone who's kind of on the edge of the the technology world is probably the the target audience. Um, yeah, but it's Bill Nye, so I mean, cool. That's yeah, <laughs> I'm a big Bill Nye fan, so I this is definitely on my list uh, to watch. Um, uh, my wife turned to me yesterday and in, uh, in bed, and uh, as we were like getting ready to go to sleep, and she said, "She's like Bill Nye." She just like said the words Bill Nye to me, and I'm like, "What?" <laughs> what? And and like I was, she, I'm like, "Is it is is it on?" And she's like, "Yes." And I'm like, "Okay, so we we're 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 gonna watch it." <laughs> nice, so, nice, which is yep. cool. Yeah, I'm excited that she. I think she more knew I would be excited about it than she is generally excited about it, but. Um, you know, we, we like, um, Ellen's energy adventure down in, in Epcot in, um, uh, in, uh, Florida at Walt Disney World. And he's been in, uh, you know, in that, uh, for many years. And so we quote it. And so I think, yeah, that's, that's, that's one that's of the things I, I have never got to see, uh, yeah. it was on my list, but it, it, well, it's super out of date and super pro like fossil fuels, uh, and they need to update it, but, <laughs> oh, um, <okay. laughs> yeah, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's Bill Nye and, and Ellen DeGeneres, Ellen DeGeneres and, and it's super fun. Um, so, uh, and I'm guessing it's going to be something that's redone in years. So, but anyway, you were saying Bill Nye saves the world. Uh, it's on Netflix, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. And so, Bridget, what did you bring our listeners? I brought your listeners a couple of things. Um, so a book I just started reading and I'm really excited about, and I'm, I'm actually a little surprised that I'm this excited about it, is uh, Camille Fournier's new book on tech leadership. Uh, that she mm. just wrote for O'Reilly that's called The Manager's Path, A Guide for Tech Leaders Navigating Growth and Change. And I knew that the book would be great. I was surprised that I would like it so much because I was in management for seven years. I went back to being an IC and I am pretty happy as an IC right now. And so the idea, you know, like being an individual contributor, why would I read a book about leadership? But there's right. so much in there about how to relate to leaders in your organization and how ICs can work with their leaders, um, with leaders mm-hmm. at different stages. Like, it's really fantastic. Even if you aren't a manager and don't want to be one, 
Like if you're a person who works in tech, I recommend reading it. Yeah, I'm. I'm just looking at the table of contents, and I'm mm-hmm. like, "Yep, uh huh, yeah, uh, well, yeah, I need to learn more about that." Yep, oh yeah, oh yes, of course. So yeah, this is a great recommendation. Yeah, and, I mean, Camille's brilliant. She's keynoting at Velocity San Jose. Like, you know, she's great. Um, everybody should follow her on Twitter and generally buy her books. But like this, uh, this book I think is really fantastic. So I recommend that. And then the other thing that I recommend is, uh, like the I. I think you you suggested what about a game to play, and mm. I, I heard you. By the way, I heard you. The uh, you were chatting about with Charity about Settlers of Catan, which is a game yes. I love. Oh, um, cool! I've actually I gave an ignite at where was it? I think it was Dobbs Days New York called Pioneers, Settlers, and Town Planners of Catan. <laughs> I actually got Simon Wardley tweeting about it. It was pretty funny. Oh, so, wow. Nice. Um, but, yeah, it's a great game. I love that game. But the game that I've been playing the most when I can is actually Escape Rooms. And this is not a board game you can buy. This is an interactive experience that if you right. Google Escape Room and the city you're in, you probably will find some. And they're, yep, yep. they're kind of puzzle rooms, but, like, with interactive components where you're solving a mystery. Uh, I actually, I like doing them with techie people. Like if I'm at a conference or, you know, just like with all my nerd friends, you know, at town in town, I've probably done like, I don't know, 10 or 11 of them by now. And oh, wow. Like I, I really like escape rooms and I've done them in different cities around the world. And like the reason I really like them is because it's pretty much, ex- it's like, a LARP of being on call without any of the misery <laughs> because <laughs> you're like you're debugging I, and troubleshooting. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I've never Together. connected the dots, but you're that's right. great. Oh, yeah, it's amazing. It's so fun. Of course, so, of course, it's yeah. it's on call but fun. That's right. amazing. Wow! Like you don't have any of the sleepless misery, but it's right. super important to preserve state and not deserve any or sorry, not disturb any evidence or destroy any. Um, you know, clues while you're right. while you're searching through. So yeah, it's like it's super fun. That's yeah. a great that's a great <laughs> recommendation. I have not gone and done an escape room yet, but uh, I it's like on my to do list. And yeah, so this is you should. Yet another and pro tip: book. do it with friends so that you can book the whole room. Because like yes. otherwise they they can and sometimes will put randos in there with you, which has not yeah. happened to me because I'm always super careful to book the whole room. That's, oh, that's, that's exactly tip. what I was going to say. So I've only done one escape room and it was uh, my wife and I and then this um, this family of three. And it was very strange because, I mean, you have to interact with people. Right. Um, <laughs> and if, if you just don't know them or there's, you know, social awkwardness, um, it takes yes. a little bit of the enjoyment out. So I right. would totally recommend um, booking the whole room. Oh, cool. I mean, it costs more, but like as long as you're going with enough people, it's going to be fine. Yeah, it's worth it. Yep. Very cool. So, yes, escape rooms. Google it, but we'll probably try to put something in the show notes for that. Um, Cool. Well, uh, I um, uh, things that I had, um, I so this is something I was doing just last night. Uh, Nothing to do with DevOps or anything, but I experienced. uh, I have an Oculus Rift uh, at home, um, big into VR. It's part of my day job, uh, but it's something I'm passionate about. I tried Batman Arkham VR for the first time. It just was launched on the 25th of April uh, on Vive and Oculus uh, Rift, and I was in it last night for about an. It's uh, it's an experience that. Depending on how long you take, for me, it took, a, I think, a little bit over an hour um, to kind of play through the whole experience, um, or at least the, the, the initial story of the experience. And, oh, my God, it is, like, 
uh, as I said on Twitter, is my favorite game of tw- – it's like the first hour of my favorite game of 2020. Like mm-hmm. I hope that this becomes a full game because you are Batman. You you oh. put on the cowl. Um, you stand in front of a mirror and you're looking back at yourself and, you're, and you are Batman. And it is amazing. Cool. And it's um, – the thing that I love about it too is it's the – the voice acting of the bat the original the batman animated series so it's mm-hmm. kevin conway and uh con uh oh i'm gonna get that wrong i'm gonna edit this in uh <laughs> kevin conway or kevin conroy we'll figure it out um and mark hamill as the joker uh and so oh excellent and the graphics are insane it's some of the best graphics i like my computer is about two years old and the graphics card's about two years old. And um, so it's like I don't have a top-of-the-line machine. So, like, sometimes VR chugs a little bit. But this was, like, amazing. I can go and, like, put my face right up to the Joker. And it's like you can see every wrinkle in his face. And <laughs> it's incredible. Sorry. So I'm gushing about it because. Sounds great. Yeah. It's, it's, I've done a lot of VR experiences. And it's, like, it's one of the few that I'm, like, I need to do this again. And it's, like, if it's, like, a wish fulfillment of, like, you know, 15-year-old me of, like, getting to be Batman. So Very it's nice. really cool. Oh, hopefully, yeah. since you do some of this in your day job, you can uh, give people feedback. Be, like, this is the compelling part. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's – it's – it's the it, to me. It's like the, it's one of the gold standards now of like this is how you do VR correctly. Is is Batman Arkham VR? Um, so was was so. it the experience or the 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 graphics or I mean just everything? It's, it's a mix of all of it. It's it's the graphics were excellent um, and the frame rate didn't never dropped or stuttered or anything, which is so critical for a, a, a not nauseous experience. But then mm-hmm. the the mechanics, the way it, it plays out, the game mechanics and teaches you the game mechanics is excellent and there's no like trying to drive um you know the batwing because that would make you barf right um it's it's (laughs) it's it's being a detective right so it's like um like in star trek the next generation i loved the times when they were in the holodeck and they were like being like the gumshoe or um you know like they were doing kind of like period um stuff and like in like a like a film noir type thing and that's what this is like is like you are the gumshoe you are batman doing the stealth detective work of batman which is some of my favorite parts of batman and um oh it's just so much fun right it's it's not it's not the 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 action violent part of batman it's the it's the kind of yeah the the stealth exploratory stuff which is just a lot of fun and then the 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 way the story plays out it feels like you're in a movie it feels like you're playing out kind of like you know and and it's Mm -hmm. this arc that over an hour like you all of a sudden like come to the big reveal you know at the end and you're just like that's amazing i didn't even see that coming uh type of an experience Mm -hmm. wow nice yeah that sounds really fun and i don't actually play computer games unless you count nethack yep if you're not familiar with it as a like um it's not a text adventure game, but it's an ASCII art game where you're an at sign running around with your little F feline chasing you and like trying to kill D dragons. So, oh, that's that sounds like adorable and fun all at the same time. It's so old, but like that's the only kind of video game I play. So I'm hearing your description and I'm like, maybe I need to get with the times. This sounds really exciting. Well, that's it. It's like, yeah, and, and it's. Uh, it's way too expensive to just like, oh, I'm going to buy, a, you know, a, um, a headset on a whim, you know. So it's like if you can find a friend uh, who has one or 
Um, if there's like a conference you can go to or like IMAX now has um, uh, these installed experiences that you can go to. And um, mm -hmm. I don't mean to be plugging my day job, but uh, Trials on Tatooine from uh, ILMX Lab is uh, one of the experiences like you can go and experience for uh, a fee. I'm actually not sure what the fee is, but you can go and, and basically like pay to, to experience like three, I think, experiences um, nice. at these these venues. So uh, without having to invest in like the, you know, the money of, of a, a full headset. This sounds uh, like the sort of thing that I will probably try to hook up at some point when I'm yeah. either visiting one of my coworkers who I know. I know I, my coworker Kenny Bastani has some of this stuff going on. Um, Got it. He's out in Silicon Valley. So if I'm out there yep. or um, I have actually, you know, hashtag disclosure, I have spoken at an internal event of your day job and I probably will speak it more. So I'll just have awesome. to, I'll have to hook them, you know, talk to them and uh, have them hook me up with that because that sounds yeah. really fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If, you know, uh, you know, uh, again, if you're a Star Wars fan, Trials on Tatooine is an awesome like yes. wish fulfillment experience that, um, uh, uh, predates me joining the team so i'm literally i experience it purely as a fan and then um and now this batman arkham vr is so so great and there's a whole bunch of other things that i could recommend in vr as well as kind of like your first experiences of you know what would be awesome but but cool. right now man batman arkham vr is like the top of my list of awesome vr experiences this sounds like a helpful slash useful blog post that you could be unleashing on the universe so that people could be retweeting it and saying that's oh, true i oh, gotta try this okay yeah <laughs> i'm just giving you I homework now homework, yeah. <laughs> thank you yeah exactly and that that is hey, that's the set it's something to do i love it <laughs> nice all right well uh well that wraps up another another episode so uh check us out at codemonkey.fm email us at feedback at codemonkey.fm we're on Slack. Uh, we have a subreddit. Every, all the links are on our site. Come find us. And yeah, check us out. Awesome. Thank you. And uh, hey, if you liked this episode, uh, do us a favor and review us on your favorite podcast finder of choice, be it Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Overcast, or whatever is your favorite. Uh, that would really help us get heard by more people. And um, so uh, thanks for listening. Thanks, Bridget, for joining us. And uh, we'll see you next week. <laughs>